Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today is our recap of chapters 7 through 9 of Northanger Abbey. Yes! <laughs> and did you enjoy these three chapters? I did. I found them to be even funnier than the first six. <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of comedy packed into these. Yeah, we got um, a couple new characters. <laughs> yes some and un- they are quite the characters <laughs> un- unfavorables in my opinion but yeah. sure <laughs> and we do have Kristen with us again um in digital <laughs> digital audio, audio message <laughs> so we're gonna try to integrate her even more like into the bits of the episode <laughs> i guess you'll see uh, <laughs> okay so let's start with first impressions Yes. I guess you already said, basically. We always say it. And then we're like, <laughs> then let's, we're like, let's it do real. it again. <laughs> Formally. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought it was funny. Um, a lot of the writing um, was very, I felt it like a lot of it was just like a little like ironic in a sense. Like, I always find it funny when characters that are in books are like, I don't read books. Yeah. <laughs> it just always <laughs> makes me laugh. But I don't know. I, I feel like. The more I get to read about Catherine, the more I like her. Yeah. And the more I relate to her because she is, like, so incredibly, like, normal, if that makes (laughs) sense. Like, not boring, but just, like, she's just... Yeah. I'm like, okay, these are normal thoughts. She's not some extraordinary person. (laughs) She doesn't seem to be a heroine at all. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Which I appreciate. Yeah. Jane Austen really set us up to love her. Seriously. (laughs) I have to say, for me, these three chapters... Just remind me how much I dislike John Thorpe. (laughs) So this is a new feeling for me about how much I dislike him. (laughs) Well, I guess I've always kind of disliked him, you know. Uh But yeah, I got a real Lucy Steele (laughs) dislike of him. (laughs) I think those are the only two characters in Jane Austen that give me that like I see no redeeming qualities in you. I'm sorry. <laughs> they just completely put you off. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like, you know, from what I remember about Lucy Steele, she just seemed to be kind of like a, like a, ugh. I feel like she's just super manipulative. And yeah. I just don't like that about <laughs> but, her. But it seems like with John Thorpe that he's not only like manipulative and just kind of like a gross person, but also extremely racist and anti-immigrant. <laughs> yeah. I just find him to be the most obnoxious person I, it's not that i find him super manipulative or whatever i mean yeah we'll see how manipulative he that, gets i'm sure he is oh he's, he's so annoying i would just like shut up i would never want to be a character Say, narcissistic <laughs> almost it seems like yeah um okay so this is probably a good point to mm-hmm. listen to Kristen's message from last week yeah all right so i just wanted to start by sort of responding a little bit to what you guys talked about uh, last time. Um, you, you had brought up the famous passage in chapter five where Jane Austen is saying how good novels are and how if one heroine can't depend upon another heroine in another novel to stand up for her, then who can she depend on? And um, you're right, that's a really super famous passage the whole idea of reading and of books is one of the hallmarks of Northanger Abbey, one of the things that critics really like to talk about. And so I just wanted to sort of 
highlight something that you guys touched on uh, last time uh, with regard to this passage, which is not only is Austin talking about how, you know, a heroine should stand up for another heroine, but she's of course talking about how a novelist should stand up for another novelist, you know, and not be downgrading or, I don't know, putting down other novels within the pages of her very own novel. Uh, as she says, it is, quote, impolitic. It's not a great idea to talk about how horrible novels are in your own novel, because what if your readers believe you, right, and stop reading? Then what are you going to do? Um, but what I wanted to really point out was that um, the novel as a genre was still pretty new at the time that Austen was writing. It was still being formed, and because it was so new, uh, there was still a lot of space in it for women to be involved, and so there were a lot of female novelists. And so we hear a lot about Anne Radcliffe in in the book, but for example, Camilla, which uh, John Thorpe and Catherine talk about in the chapters we read for today, that was also written by a woman. And actually, there were really a big presence uh, among novelists of the time. And so that you kind of get this sense of kind of a uh, sort of a sexism underlying some of the uh, fastidiousness toward novels. I mean, not just a, not just a discomfort with the newness of the novel and not understanding, you know, how it fits in and, and being a little uncomfortable with just the pleasure to be gained in reading novels. Uh, as you see that with a lot of critics at the time is, I mean, that's what Austin's talking about is that the reason these authors kept saying, oh, I never read novels, you know, novels are terrible, novels, it's because they were so fun, right? So they weren't quote unquote improving to people. They weren't quote unquote good for you. So it's like, it's like, you know, eating cake instead of your vegetables and people kept eating the cake. And so the critics would keep arguing about how novels aren't good for you. They're clearly too fun and they're all written by women. So, you know, they can't be uh, as good for you as, as Austin says, some man who's collected other people's writing into an article that they put into the Spectator, which is like a magazine of the time, where, as she's hinting at, there's nothing new about that, but it was considered to be more important, I guess, uh, than the novels. And so Austin's making a fairly impassioned plea, you know, rec for us to recognize that novels are worthwhile and that understanding people and real life and also having fun doing it is good for you. It's, it's not just fun, but it's, you know, it teaches you about yourself and about life and makes you a better person, uh, which is one of the arguments we still make about fiction is that it helps teach you empathy and makes you a better person to be around because <laughs> you've seen your own problems in, in other people and uh, fictional people. So that's part of it. And then also obviously inherent in that is the, um, the fact that since the other novelist many times were women, you've kind of got this nice sort of subtle, but there, I think, argument that 
the women need to not be putting down the work of other women. We should, you know, help each other out, which again is a, a nice kind of feminist argument that a lot of critics these days like about Austin. So I wanted to sort of point that out, but I really enjoyed your discussion last week. It's great to hear how, how much you're enjoying it and, and having fun. Okay, so we just listened to Kristen, for, and she was talking about what we were talking about last week. Um, right. And, yeah, I think she made some really good points about um, the really feminist tone to that uh-huh. as well. I didn't really realize how many of the authors were women who were Me neither. writing those, like, gothic novels at the time. Well, I, I always, um, because I, I guess I, I didn't know, like, the, you know, the difference between, like, the novels and then these, like, you know, obviously, like, male authors like publishing books i guess at the time and how new it was and um so i um was also thinking about like about her comments about how we shouldn't you know put down other novelists and stuff like that as because a lot of women were doing it and they considered it silly i always likened it to um uh, reality tv of these Uh days (laughs) kind of and how you know back when it first started becoming super popular in the early ish 2000s mid 2000s uh-huh um a lot of you know obviously people were like this is like trash tv like it's bad for you yes. <laughs> but it's also like if you look i mean obviously there are trash shows but um if you look into some of these programs like you'll be able to see like you know people who aren't always in the spot like people of color women right. a lot of lgbt people that are being truly like their true authentic selves whether <laughs> it's good or bad you're still getting a very dynamic character yeah and so I just, I kind of made that connection when she said that. Yeah. About novels. It just kind of made me think about that. <laughs> I mean, you were making me think about reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not your thing. But... <laughs> well, I, I watched the very first Survivor and I was really like into the whole idea of it uh-huh. until I realized that it was all a game of manipulation. And then I was yeah. like, this is the most horrible thing to happen to television <laughs> ever. And I stand by that. Okay. <laughs> there are some bad ones. But there are some good ones, I think. No, I like like a good competition, you know, show or something yeah, like that. Yeah, a good Project Runway or I guess nowadays, uh, like Next in Fashion. Was... I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's <laughs> just and there's no fighting on it. It's almost like um, very Great British Bake Off where oh. everyone's like, we're friends. Oh, my God. Making it. That one was. Yes, that's really good. good, too. That's what I like. Yeah, I like seeing people's talents. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get into some notes for this week. All right. Okay, so I wrote for this week just a little bit more about Jane Austen herself and her family life. Okay. I have to say, doing research for this podcast for Jane Austen is very difficult because every really? week I find some new fact and then the next <laughs> week I read another article that tells me that the fact I just said the week before is wrong and so now I'm like <laughs> I don't know which one is right <laughs> oh lord so I'll just either correct myself or you know people know. people will understand uh, I hope so <laughs> maybe I'll give them reason to write in <laughs> <laughs> we'll finally get some people <laughs> okay well okay so Jane Austen, she was the seventh child out of eight. Ugh, so kind of the baby. A lot of kids. And the second daughter. So I think there were only two girls oh, and the wow. rest were all boys. Of Yeah, her parents were Cassandra and George Austen. Oh. 
Also, her older sister's name was Cassandra. Or Cassandra, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Junior. Yeah. (laughs) Her family lived in Steventon, Hampshire, England. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's too many words in that address. But I'm... Steventon, Hampshire, England. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> her parents were well-respected in the community. Her father served as the Oxford-educated rector for two nearby Anglican parishes. Oh. So he was the rector for two. So I guess that's, you know, two, two incomes. That's pretty good. That's how they could afford to have so many children. <laughs> The family was all were all really close, and the children grew up in an environment that stressed learning and creative thinking. And when she was young, she and her siblings were encouraged to read from her father's extensive library. And I think they also had a neighbor with a really extensive library that they could go to. Uh, how lucky! Yeah, and they were um, they they were also encouraged to like write and put on plays and charades, which makes that whole Mansfield Park thing pretty interesting. Yeah. That's really awesome. She was especially close to her father and older sister, Cassandra. Kind of like Lizzie Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) I would say a scene sings in parallels here. Um, During like their preteen tween years, Uh um, her and Cassandra were both sent to boarding schools for a more formal education. But while at school, both her and her sister caught typhus (gasps) and she almost died. So they had to leave school early. I think they might have gone back to a different school, but they had to leave early because of um, the families started having some financial constraints. Uh, When she was a teenager, she did begin writing when she was a teenager. So I was right. (laughs) She just didn't write her first book. But she did write Love and Friendship, a parody of romantic Uh. fiction. Organizes a series of love letters. Okay, I'm yeah, excited. Yeah, I know you those. love that one, but that's not actually based it's on not, that. It's, it's based on Lady Susan. Lady Susan, which was Lord. also, I think, something she wrote early on. The next year after she wrote Love and Friendship, she wrote uh, The History of England, a 34-page parody of historical writing, which included drawings by Cassandra. Um, I think I have that one right up there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> These, so these novels, as well as other short stories and poems and plays that she wrote all during this time are all referred to as her juvenilia. Okay. Um, she also played the piano. She okay. went to church, and she liked to socialize a lot, and she was a really great dancer, supposedly. Oh. <laughs> and some evenings, she would just choose a novel from the shelf or one of her own and read to the family. Which, you know, I always say she's meant to be read aloud. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She continued to write and develop her style in works like Lady Susan. Also an epistolary story. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a fun word. Epistolary. Epistolary. When she was 18, she became an aunt for the first time. Oh. Um, And she sent her her first two nieces short pieces of writing that Mm -hmm. she called scraps. And they... We're supposed to be opinions and admonitions on the conduct of young women. (laughs) (laughs) And she may have continued like adding to them and working on them up until like a few years before her death. So, oh, wow. I mean, how great would that be? I would love to have an aunt that just wrote me this hilarious thing Thing as a baby and just kept updating it. And I could just say, oh, it seems so nice. Swooning, eh? So, it was around. This time, like 18, is also when she started working 
see, this is what contradicts from last week, because last week it was saying 23 or 24, now it's saying 18. Mm-hmm. But supposedly this is when she started working on Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, and also Northanger Abbey. So she oh, was wow. kind of starting all three of them around the same time, supposedly, <laughs> according to this particular source. <laughs> it's not for sure. <laughs> I don't know what's real anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So what this was saying was technically she had probably already started Sense and Sensibility and Uh Pride and Prejudice and before she started Northanger Abbey. Okay. I've always thought of it as her first one. So, you know, my headcanon is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Also, during this time, she had, um, she seems to have fallen in love with a young man who also fell in love with her named Thomas Lafroy. But he was sent away by his family to prevent the match. <gasps> Is it because she was poor? Yep, I think so. We'll have That's to um, actually really get into that on another occasion. But I just thought I'd add it in there as a tidbit. Okay, well, that's all for the notes for this week. to the recap Woo. <laughs> okay so chapter seven when we last left them they were chasing after some boys out of the pump room mm-hmm. so they're trying to cross the road in pursuit of these boys and they get like waylaid on cheap street and <laughs> she says that it's an infamously uncrossable street <laughs> <laughs> Isabella has been detained there at least three times a day. <laughs> oh my god. And right when they were about to catch those boys. Um, but they don't lament their fate for more than a second because who should they see but Mr. Moreland? James's <gasps> or he's James's <laughs> Mr. Moreland, whose name is James, who's Catherine's brother. <laughs> right. And he's with Isabella's brother, John Thorpe. Yeah. I mean, sure. <laughs> it's kind of crazy that their brothers are friends. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. And that they didn't know each other before Bath. Yeah, and then Isabella and her meet up. I mean, it does. It doesn't feel like a setup or anything. It no. feels like totally coincidental. Like kismet almost. <laughs> yeah. So um, Catherine's really happy to see her brother, <laughs> and her brother is also very happy to see her, even if he uh, was very distracted by Isabella's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and sure. Catherine might have noticed um, that her brother had eyes for Isabella if she wasn't so wrapped up in her own happiness in seeing him. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like the perfectly teenage thing. Like, yeah. she's just like, I'm just so happy. I mean, she's still oblivious. I feel like this is probably what Isabella's been trying to tell her for the past couple of chapters right um since they met with all her sighing and swooning all over the place (laughs) i've I've met a man yeah that she's like you know her and Catherine's brother have a kind of a thing going on a flirtation if you will Mm -hmm. uh so john thorpe gives her like half a scrape and a short bow or something (laughs) Uh, yeah well i read in my book apparently it's a very it's a more formal than a bow kind of bow it's like you bend but then you scrape your leg (laughs) it's it's interesting that's so funny i would love to get into the proper bowing etiquette at some point apparently it's more formal (laughs) so he starts off nicer you would think oh yeah he kind of just kind of dismisses isabella but gives Catherine like a half-hearted like Ooh, proper hello scrape my foot yeah 
Yeah, he barely acknowledges this Um, so he's stout, medium height, plain face, ungraceful form. <laughs> but <laughs> seemed to be afraid of being too handsome if he didn't dress like a horse crew. <laughs> if he wasn't slightly rude at all times. <laughs> I feel like Jane was like, I'm gonna purposefully put in all these descriptors because yeah. she's like he's the not likable one. <laughs> yeah. He's like he's dressed like crap, but it's almost like he's dressed like that to be like f- Oh, I'll be so the women will be able to resist say, me if I I'll dress distract too everyone. nicely. <laughs> I'm too handsome. I feel like there are definitely those types in the world still. <laughs> say, I bet you they couldn't tell the difference between him and his horse. <laughs> um, okay, so Thorpe is exclaiming about how far they've come and is arguing with James about the details. Uh, yeah, this was confusing. Yeah, I think uh, Kristen talks about that. So when we get to the end of this okay, chapter, perfect. we'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit like probably. 23 miles, 3 and 20. And I was like, okay. Yeah, because... Numbers are hard. Yeah, he's like saying, oh, my... It took us... We, oh, it had have been like 25 miles because it took us this long to get here. And then James is like, we left like an hour before you're saying it. And then he's like, no, but my horse goes at least 10 miles an hour. So we had... I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. We'll come back to that at yeah. the end because of Kristen. But Perfect. So they all agree to... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I said about John Thorpe after that whole speech, I said, this man never stops talking. <laughs> Even though we would love him to stop talking for and one He keeps second. asking Catherine these questions like, what do you think of my jig? But he never lets her answer. Oh, I kept pronouncing it gig. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was listening to it a lot and I was reading it, but... um. But I, I, when they were like, oh, he has a, a, a jig, I guess, but I read it as gig. And I was like, oh, so he's I a wrote book- it as jig. Like J-I-G. <laughs> In my book, it's G-I-G. I'm sure it is. <laughs> but I was like, oh, so he's a performer. And then it was like, it's a carriage. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. No redeeming qualities. <laughs> that would have been so funny, though. What do you think of my jig? And he did a little uh, jig. That would have made him uh, more redeeming, for exactly. sure. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, he's got something going on. <laughs> I love it. Anytime she actually does answer, he just uses an excuse to, like, keep talking. <laughs> so they all agree to walk together to see Mrs. Thorpe. And Isabella is so delighted to be walking with James that she only looks back at those young men that they were pursuing three times. <laughs> <laughs> I love Isabella. <laughs> She's just like, oh. She's such a flirt. She's like, the boy I really like is here, but I'm just going to check and make sure those two are still staring at me. <laughs> like, I've only looked back three times. It's not that big of a deal. Imagine how many it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have cared less. So, um, John and Catherine, Thorpe, I should call him. Yeah. Thorpe and Catherine Thorpe. are stuck together. And he keeps going on about his jig and obviously exaggerating, as her brother points out on occasion. <laughs> I was like, we can tell. Yeah. Um, he offers to take Catherine out in his open carriage every day, but she's not quite sure that that's proper. <laughs> I was about to say didn't seem very isn't it like not okay for them to be like technically alone one-on-one well yeah she's not really sure about the proper etiquette of that right yeah she's not sure it's really proper but he's like oh well come by tomorrow and isabella's like but you won't have room for me 
<laughs> Which would have probably made it a little more proper if she was with them. Right. Um, and he's like, I didn't come to town. Just drive my sisters about. <laughs> so <laughs> rude. I hate him. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was um, in the annotated book, there was like, I can't remember if it was this part or a later part, but they explained like, I guess there's like a, I don't know if it's like a term or like a common practice for like, uh, like an older, like for women, like for the, like a friend to be with them to like a chaperone basically to make yeah to make sure that nothing like inappropriate was going on yeah and that no men were trying to do anything stupid yeah and i was like I which like you should this. definitely be worried about with john thorpe <laughs> just keep him talking about his horse <laughs> just give him another bottle <laughs> we'll get to that um <laughs> lord that was scary so then he proceeds to remark on every woman's face who walks by until Catherine cannot take it anymore and asks if he's ever read Udolfo. <laughs> <laughs> so would this be considered quizzing or is it not officially quizzing because it's not like they're getting up to quiz? I think quizzing is just... Is it like... On... Like making fun of people to their faces. Oh, so it's kind of like... <laughs> poking fun at people just being like, yeah. like joking around with them okay yeah i can i can never tell if like quizzing is like we're just gonna talk shit about these people yeah. i actually thought about doing that for the note section so maybe i'll do it next time because there's a yeah. whole section in my book that talks about quizzing, quizzing. it okay. seems very complicated and weird yeah. but there's like a formalness to it weird yeah uh, i don't know <laughs> yeah i think it's just basically being rude to people's faces <laughs> um <laughs> i mean if John Thorpe is any indication. Um, God. Yeah, so he is, so she asked him about Udolfo, and he's like, I think all novels are trash except for Monk. <laughs> oh, God. I roll. <laughs> and Tom Jones, which I guess I read they were, those were both, like, really masculine-type novels, Ugh. but they're both really, really long, so he probably actually never read them. I was saying, <laughs> just said reading was stupid, so <laughs> I'd never read a book in my life. He says he knows he doesn't like books because he skimmed the first chapter of Camilla once. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he said that he um, knew he wouldn't like it when he heard that the author had married an immigrant, a French immigrant. Yeah, I was like, okay. Yeah. So we're a little racist. I don't know if I even wrote down when he actually swears, but um, it's probably around here sometime. It is. In my book, it's like, because <laughs> they, they don't put like the actual swear word in they put d a lot of underscores yeah. <laughs> and then t and i was like i'm gonna assume this is what it means yeah because apparently you weren't allowed to print any sort of a swear it was would, right, like violate like the indecency modesty laws or, something. or something like that which that makes me love that jane also put it in there even more <laughs> she was like rebel uh i was I, like i said earlier i think it's so funny when characters in books are like i hate books i think they're stupid <laughs> yeah yeah, because she just was talking about this, and Thorpe is, like, someone she clearly does not like. Exactly. Then, yeah. He's... So she's like, he's going to have my unfavorable qualities. <laughs> it's like the person I'd least like to be stuck with in a carriage. Mm. <laughs> this is the real um, fire that the heroine has to go through to build herself up. <laughs> okay. Oh. So back to the book. <laughs> <laughs> so they get to the Thorpe's house, and... Uh, uh, the John shakes his mom's hand and immediately makes fun of her hat. <laughs> and she seems fine with it. She's <laughs> probably like, I don't care. Then he insults his other sister. And Catherine is like, I don't think I like you. Yeah. To me, he seems like the really, like, jockish, like, bro-y kind of guy, like, that is, like, 
kind of like when you like in movies like he's you know the guy who like will kind of like make fun of his like mom yeah. <laughs> and like you think like oh like he means it and like oh like oh like that's just how they are but you can tell like he's just kind of mean to his mom <laughs> yeah he's just a jerk they all laugh it off because they're, they're like, willing to forgive whatever they love him yeah. uh. no jerk but i mean him and his sister are very much alike in certain ways and they're yeah. like a way of just never letting Catherine answer just talking say, a constantly. little bit of a little dose of narcissism yeah yeah, she's just thinking, I don't really like you. But then he asked her to dance tonight. So she's like, well, I'll I'll let all that other stuff slide because it's <laughs> the first time I will have gone to a dance with a dance partner already there. <laughs> exactly. I think it's a good experience. Yeah. As long as she ditches in later. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I was like, ugh. So then um, James and her, I think, walk home and he wants to know what she thinks of Thorpe. And even though she doesn't really like him, she says she does because she doesn't want yeah. to insult her brother. Yeah. He's agreeable. Yeah. Or her friend, Isabella, you know. Right. And then they talk a little bit about how great Isabella is. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a little bit surprised since he never mentioned her before. <laughs> right. So. Um, I would be more surprised that she didn't mention him since she spent, like, how many days with Isabella? <laughs> And I mean, she's been like, yeah, well, she's been wanting and... to sell her this whole time. But... It's just so silly. Like, just say something. <laughs> she must have known he was coming to town. Probably. Um. Yeah, I bet her. Yeah. Okay. So he. Yeah. I'm sorry. I got it's okay. lost. <laughs> it, it, it's okay. <laughs> she's surprised. Never mentioned before. Oh. And then he, um, you know, asks Catherine if she's happy. <laughs> And we can guess that he probably just came to town to see Isabella. Yep. So Thorpe was probably like, oh, my sister is made of friends with your sister. You should go to town and meet up with the sister. And then I can meet your sister. <laughs> yeah. So then Catherine's back at home for a few hours and tears through some Udolfo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, and this is, uh, yeah, let's pause it. So we first meet John Thorpe and James Moreland. And, oh, I thought this was interesting. So I hadn't thought about this before, but a lot of the, not a lot of, but some of the better known Austin novels like Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice, a lot of times feel like they're novels about sister relationships, sister to sister. This is the only one that I can think of where it's, there's a lot of sisters and brothers and we get to look at the different ways that sisters and brothers interact with one another and who may, who is a good brother, who is a terrible brother, um, what makes a good sister and sort of the specialness of that relationship, which is different than a sister to a sister. So that really struck me this time. And so let's see, there was that. And then John Thorpe. So John Thorpe and Isabella both have this thing that they do. Um, they called John Thorpe a rattle, which was, uh, you hear a lot about a rake. So a rake and a rattle, those are two different kinds of stereotypes, character stereotypes for men in stories of the time. So the rake is like Willoughby or Wickham where they're a bad boy, bad and you don't want to know them, bad for good girls, right? But a rattle is, that's not one that we really know as well these days a rattle is just like John Thorpe they just talk over you they just talk all the time they got nothing to say really but they can't stop their mouth from moving they can be dangerous in their own way but 
actually Isabella and, and John Thorpe both do something very similar, which is related to being a rattle in that they have a sense of how they want things to be and they refuse to consider any facts that contradict it. So when we first meet John Thorpe, he's like, my horse cannot go less than 10 miles an hour. And he tries to, I don't know if it's even something that he knows he's doing, but he refuses to consider that his horse could possibly go any slower than 10 miles an hour. So when James Moreland is saying, no, no, we left at 10 o'clock. He's like, we couldn't have left at 10 o'clock. We had to have left at 11 o'clock because my horse cannot go slower than 10 miles an hour. So it couldn't have taken us this long to get here. So he can, he refuses to consider reality if it contradicts what he wants to believe. And Isabella does the same thing. Um, in some ways she, I'm trying to think where I saw it in these chapters, but I wish I could remember where it was because I wrote it down. But anyway, um, it seemed like Isabel did the same thing. If I find it, I'll I'll send you the passage. But they they just, <laughs> they just if reality contradicts them, they're just going to talk over reality. And and then I thought this was interesting. So one of the things about Catherine is again she's really young. She doesn't trust herself very much, and she's. I'm finding her to be much quieter than I thought she was in this reading because we get her inner monologue a lot, right? So we hear her thinking and she doesn't seem quiet, but when she's actually interacting with other people, she seems to be interacting with people who really like to talk and she doesn't really say that much. Henry Tilney is super talkative and John Thorpe is super talkative and even her brother, James, he also kind of sort of talks over her in some ways and just assumes that she's going to answer the way he wants her to. The only one she really seems to talk with is Mrs. Allen, and Mrs. Allen doesn't have much to say, but she's plenty talkative as well. What I thought was interesting in relation to that is looking at who it is that actually listens to her. So like everybody's going to talk at her, and she doesn't say much, but who is it that actually listens to her and you know takes what she says into account so that they have, as Austin points out in these chapters, conversation and not just talk? you know? So there's kind of give and, give and take and what that means about their relationship and that person as well. So for example, Mr. Allen seems to listen to Catherine. She says, you know, she, she didn't have a real good time at the first ball. He realizes this. And Maya, I think you guys are right that uh, maybe he stepped in and, and talked to the master of ceremonies and said, you know, you need to, I'd like you to find a, a partner and that's when he finds Tilney I'd like you to find a partner for my guest here and that's when he finds Tilney I had never thought about that before but it, it does make sense that's part of what the master of ceremonies was supposed to do make sure everybody's you know got somebody to dance with and things are going along well and everybody's having a good time so Mr. Allen listens to her John Thorpe clearly does not listen to her and James doesn't really seem to listen to her. I think Henry listens pretty well, despite the fact that he is enamored with what he's saying. So there was that. That was in chapter seven. Yep. Um, so we just heard from Kristen, and she was talking about um, the rattle, how Thorpe is a rattle. Uh-huh. And she was explaining, you know, the whole driving thing. <laughs> but she did say that... Um, she knew Isabella did it at some point, but she couldn't remember when. And I think it's at the end of chapter nine uh-huh. when they get back from the drive. Cause she's like, 
I can't believe we've been gone this long. And she won't believe it until James tells her <laughs> what time it is. <laughs> um, and. Oh, Isabella. Yeah. And she was also talking about how it's interesting to look at who listens to Catherine. Oh, as yeah. As opposed to just talking. I didn't even think Which about that. I had pointed out a couple times that, you know, no one ever lets her answer. And when she does, it just encourages them to talk more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there is that scene. And um, I don't remember one of the chapters from the last section we did uh-huh. um, where Tilney is talking and Catherine doesn't have much to say. And that's when he's like, oh, let me ask you all the basic questions you know because he knows right. he'll get answers out of her so that is like he's listening and trying to engage her in conversation yeah i was about to say like you know obviously her brother and thor <laughs> probably couldn't care less <laughs> i think her brother does listen to her but he's just like yeah he's well he's grown up with her too so yeah. it's just like at this point he's like well i already know kind of what you think yeah he's <laughs> more interested in isabella at the moment yeah but i think tilney i you know I think he likes to talk and then he kind of like what I like about him is that he seems to realize that he's talking too much. He kind of <laughs> has that like self-regulation yeah. where the other two kind of don't. And sometimes Isabella does not either. Yeah. But what I like, that made me think about like, you know, who's listening and that we find that, that we kind of notice that Catherine's doing most of the listening in this story. Yeah. And then, you know, my immediate thought goes to Mansfield park and um, persuasion. Oh yeah. How, you know, those two, uh, heroines were also like you know didn't really talk that much and yeah, listened. I definitely get some Anne Elliot vibes from. <laughs> oh yeah, but like what what I really love about this one that's a, like I think that kind of sets it apart is that um and the other two I think definitely persuasion she's you know she's rich so we're like we're and she's kind of like still a part of society so we kind of like you know she just is a player but not as talkative and then right with uh, Mansfield Park you know she's kind of like you definitely feel she's out of place. But with Catherine, I feel like we get more of a wallflower quality out of her. (laughs) Yeah. Where we're getting, she's kind of like giving us just a peek into these rich people's lives where she's just as much of an audience as we are. Yeah. She's never been in any of these situations before. (laughs) And I I think that's great that she's like observing so much. Yeah, definitely. And taking all these, it feels like we're reading her story that she wrote. Oh, she also did mention uh, brother-sister relationships. And yes. it is fun to get to see that because they're all, mostly always all sister, sisters, sister. except for Mansfield Park does have some brothers as well. Yeah. I think what's uh, what's different about that one is like, you know, the sisters are, it was Mariah and... Yeah, and Julia. And Julia. I was like, yeah, you never there. see them bonding with you like s- Edmund or Tom. No, it's more so um, the brothers together or with... With Fanny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Chapter eight. Okay. At the, we're going to the upper rooms again. Uh, <laughs> we had such a disastrous first visit there. Decide. Time um, or two. But this time she's already got a partner. <laughs> but we know it gets super crowded in there. Um, and right. that does become important to this scene. So they all meet up and the dancing is starting. And James really wants to get dancing with Isabella. And they're trying to wait because John Thorpe went off into the card room to talk to his friend as soon as they got there. Right. So he's missed the beginning of the dancing already, who right. Catherine has already, like, promised to dance with him. Right. So it would be, like, a super scandalous. But it's such a crowded room that Isabella, if she goes to dance and Catherine <laughs> doesn't go with her, then she might get in a whole different group. And then, you know. It just becomes a mess. Yeah. So <laughs> and Is- Isabella 
lasts about three minutes before she's like, okay, let's dance. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I gotta wait. Never mind. Yeah. And then Catherine gets stuck with um, Mrs. Allen and Mrs. Thorpe, and she's feeling dejected. She's like, nobody here knows that I actually have a dance partner. They just think that I'm <laughs> sitting here because I don't have one. <laughs> He's just in the card room. <laughs> and so for 10 whole minutes, she's <clears throat> sitting there. Um, that's like at least a third of the dance over. Right. <laughs> and if I, she sees across the room... <gasps> Mr. Tilney. (laughs) (laughs) He's back. And he's got a pretty woman on his arm. And she immediately guesses that it's his sister. (laughs) (laughs) That's what, that's, I really love this part because how Jane Austen was like, you know, in any other, you know, novel, a heroine would be immediately be like, that's his wife. And would faint and be like so upset. And she's just like, oh, his sister. And in actually both the adaptations, when she sees him, Uh she looks disappointed. So... I like the I, I like this one because like yeah I feel like that's such a normal thought because he said he had a sister yeah so it's <laughs> oh like, it's his sister I'm so excited to meet her and so yeah. oh he's got another girl he's betrothed oh <laughs> um, yeah it's, she says thus throwing away an opportunity of considering him lost to her forever by being married already <laughs> <laughs> she's so guileless okay so Tilney comes over. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was out of town last week. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, thanks for letting us know. And he talks to Mrs. Allen for a minute. Uh, I really think he likes her. (laughs) Yes. Um, He asks Catherine to dance, but she can't because she already promised Uh, to dance with Thorpe, which is like, oh, the worst, you know. Say, of course. The one she really wants to dance with and the one she doesn't want to is off not dancing with her. (laughs) (laughs) Ruining her night. Yeah, exactly. Um. Uh, oh yeah. So and it says she expressed her regret so passionately that if Thorpe had been around, he might have gotten jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he should. So I hope Tilney was flattered by that. Um. But then just afterwards, Thorpe shows up, <laughs> and he forces her to dance with him in some random set where she can't even talk to Isabella. Ugh. But while she's dancing with him. Mrs. Hughes comes up and gives her a little tap on the shoulder. And this just shows like how social these dances are. They last forever. And it's all about chatting Chatting. the whole time. But you also, I guess, have to be a good dancer at the same time. Right. (laughs) Um, But anyway, Miss Hughes has come up to see if Miss Tilney, Henry's sister, can dance in her group because she's like, I can't get to Isabella, but you're right here. So. Catherine is like oh my god I couldn't think of a better thing in the world than to have her dance with me (laughs) yeah they get properly introduced and uh Mrs. Miss I keep wanting to call her Mrs. but Miss Tilney um has real elegance and she's not obnoxious like everybody else and they talk quite a bit they have like a real conversation (laughs) (laughs) um whenever she can think of something to say and has the opportunity to so after two dances uh they're done and isabella comes up to Catherine to brag about her own dancing mm-hmm. and um Catherine points out miss tilney and isabella is impressed but she still can't stop flirting with james of course 
He asks her to dance again, scandalous, but she says she can't because they would be the whole talk of the place. <laughs> what would the older women say? And I, I mean, I did read that, yeah, that would actually be a real scandal, but I mean, judging by how crowded and, you know, bad this, notice. like, yeah, it's not like your neighbors. It's just random people. Right. So... I don't know if anyone would actually notice is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, so they can only do one dance? Um, you get two. Oh, uh, yeah. but if you do three dances, then does that mean you're like, they consider you like, quote unquote, fast? Like, um, yeah, I think it's like, they're going to be engaged. They must be really, engaged if they're They're getting really intimate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Um, but, you know, honestly, I don't know that anyone would actually notice. Maybe in the country they would notice for sure. Yeah, but, but not a packed dance floor. Yeah. But, I mean, it doesn't take much arm twisting to get Isabella to agree <laughs> to do it. So <laughs> I don't think so. Catherine's like, I don't care. I don't think anyone would care. <laughs> <laughs> Say exactly what we're thinking. Exactly. And she's looking for Tilney, hoping that he's going to ask um, her to dance again. But he already wandered off and found another partner. Oh, Tilney. Yeah, I know. And then Thorpe asks her to dance again, and she says, no, thank you. <laughs> and then he wants her to go around and quiz people with him, but she says, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, she's probably like, you're going to be too mean yeah and the whole rest of the night is pretty dull for Catherine. <laughs> oh Catherine. yep all right and then Kristen again and then in chapter eight isabella is starting to remind me more and more of caroline bingley because the way she flirts is to insult the men around her and say oh men like this and men like that so i don't know the more i the more i hear isabella the more i'm like that sounds like caroline that really sounds like caroline so i'm curious if you guys thought that was uh, similar or not that was a short one but <laughs> i liked it i loved that comparison <laughs> i i didn't make it initially i felt yeah that, i never thought that but yes <laughs> i felt that she felt super familiar like i know we've read a, or at least watched something about this kind of person <laughs> and the comment about her the way she flirts is by insulting men yes. is a-okay in my book yeah. <laughs> i love it <laughs> Christian really likes Isabella. I can tell. <laughs> I, I like Isabella. I, I love Caroline Bingley. <laughs> and one of the versions she's played by Carrie Mulligan. Oh, really? Yeah, crossover. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love this universe. Yeah, she's uh, she makes really good as well. Yeah, Isabella I like, but I'm conflicting. Like, sometimes I'm like, are you just like a little John Thorpe or are you... Are you a little more evolved? Yeah. But we, we need to learn a little bit more about her. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm open to learning more. But we're not going to learn about her in the next chapter, chapter nine, because <laughs> uh, we have to spend the whole time with John. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So after the dance, Catherine just wants to go home. And when she gets there, she's starving and she stuffs her face and then immediately falls asleep for nine hours. <laughs> I was like, need I say more relatable? <laughs> yes, relatable. It's like, yeah, after a night of dancing, she doesn't cry or in her room she eats a lot of food because she you can't eat all day before right you know you have to go to the bathroom and then falls asleep for a good nine hours <laughs> healthy nine so, hours i've been there when i've come home from like a bar or something and i'm like i have 10 mcchickens <laughs> and i'm going to sleep for 12 hours yeah i wonder if they drink at all of these things okay maybe i don't know there's that whole conversation about alcohol maybe watered down wine probably yeah Okay, so when she wakes up, she, she's she got this plan. She wants to go find Miss Tilney at the pump room. 
um, so she can become better friends with her because <laughs> she already met, found one friend there. So, you know, it's she's, reasonable to expect yeah. another. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and she decides she's just going to read Udolfo until it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> she loves his book. Yeah. But <clears throat> right before she can complete her plan to actually, you know, do this, James, Isabella, and John show up. John is like mm. rapping on the windows. And they're in a couple of open open carriages. And Thorpe insists that she comes with them. Mm-hmm. And Catherine is like trying to say, Is it okay for me to go? But <laughs> Miss Allen Mrs. Allen, who I think she says something about she's has never tried to signal someone with her own face, mm-hmm. so she doesn't understand it when Catherine is trying to do it. <laughs> she's like, Hello, <laughs> wink wink. <laughs> She doesn't think there's anything improper and tells her to do just as she pleases. Oh, God. So she runs and changes real quick and goes off. And she, of course, has to get in the carriage with Thorpe. And says she's too naive to be scared. (laughs) Which, yeah. yeah, Getting into a carriage with that guy. (laughs) And he's all like, um, don't be afraid if my horse plunges a bit at first and she gets on but the horse is like super gentle (laughs) not at all what he claimed it to be of course and he says it's because he's so good with the reins (sighs) but Catherine doesn't worry too much about it miss uh thorpe at one point is like old alan is rich as a jew which is insulting on like two different levels i mean not i mean it's insulting that he is um you know racist or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> but um it's just rude for him to call him old alan as well you yeah know? <laughs> and she's like what you mean mr alan <laughs> yeah be proper <laughs> and he thinks like it's her godfather or something and she says nope <laughs> no he's just really nice to me and then he goes on about if he drinks his bottle a day oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and she says no does he seem like a drunk <laughs> to you <laughs> And Thorpe is like, well, you can, a man can drink a bottle without getting drunk. What are you talking about? <laughs> I feel like in Catherine's mind, she's like, this guy's an alcoholic. I know, because he's like, I think people should drink a way more than they do. You know, this Maybe. place would be a lot better if everybody was drinking a lot more. <laughs> yeah, she <man>. says, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was going to say, she says that she heard that they drink a lot at Oxford. <laughs> he's like no only five pints at his last party and that was considered a lot five pints (laughs) apparently four pints is half a gallon so half a gallon of wine is or more than that i guess at his last party god lord (laughs) half a gallon (laughs) to say how are these people not dead she's like yeah you drink a lot and i'm pretty sure my brother doesn't drink as much as that (laughs) no and he does like, I don't know. He's like, does all this exclaiming, blah 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 blah, blah. and she's like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm agreeing with myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then Thorpe asks her to admire his horse some more, <sighs> and she's very unknowledgeable on the subject, and so she just nods. And he talks <laughs> about how crappy her brother's carriage is that he had to rent for the day, and she starts to get worried. Or I think at some point they're just sitting in silence. So she's like are you sure about that carriage that it's going to break down? (laughs) (laughs) And she starts to get really concerned and wants to turn back because he's saying how horrible it is. And then he refuses. 
And he doesn't care um, because he's sure even if it is broken, they'll be fine. The ground is soft. <laughs> hey, the, was, it the, was it the mud or the dirt was soft? So basically it'll catch him. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, but, oh, that carriage, yeah, it could break down, but I would drive it 500 miles to Devonshire or something. I can't remember where he said it was, but I looked it up in my annotated version. It was like several weeks drive away. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Um, so then Catherine is trying to work out how much exaggerating he really does mm-hmm. <laughs> and is starting to understand, oh, I shouldn't actually trust his supposed his opinion. Word. Yeah. So she doesn't try to get his feelings on the subject because he doesn't seem to excel at making things plain. <laughs> mm-hmm. And all his conversation began and ended with his own concerns. <laughs> and I wrote, he's so obnoxious. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So then it's like Catherine, even though she's naive and ready to please everyone, the extreme weariness he provoked in her made her distrust his powers of be bringing universal pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I know everyone told me that I would really like him, but I really don't. <laughs> so, if I were her, I'd be like, these people don't know me at all. <laughs> so um, when they get home, it's way later than they planned. And Isabella, this is the part where she won't believe the time until James tells her. Because it's so late, Isabella has to go straight home and has no time to come in and make, you know, her proper introductions and Mm -hmm. chat. And so she goes and Mrs. Allen comes home and tells Catherine about she went to the pump rooms. As soon as she left, she went off to the pump rooms. And who did she see there but not just Miss Tilney, also Mr. Tilney. Oh, man. they talked for a while. And then Mrs. Hughes kind of gave her the gossip and said that they're good sort of people and very rich. Their mother's dead, but she was super rich before they got married. Um, she got 20,000 pounds on her marriage. So that's almost Emma Woodhouse level right there. Yeah. Um, but there's no other real intelligence about them to be gleaned from Mrs. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Except for they had a really rich mom who's dead. Um, <laughs> Catherine's super super disappointed to have missed them and it makes her realize that mr thorpe and his carriage were quite disagreeable (laughs) (laughs) uh took the word right out of my mouth yeah it made it so much more obvious all right so let's hear Kristen's last um word recap (laughs) in chapter nine this was great so toward the end of chapter nine she poor Catherine, has to spend all this time with john thorpe on their little outing but Toward the end of chapter nine, she's listened to him contradict himself and say things that she knows aren't true. And I thought this was great. She starts to form her own opinions and she starts to to trust her own opinions. So um, she doesn't necessarily have outside evidence to corroborate what she thinks. It's just she has her own judgment. And I think it's great that, you know, she's this whole time she's been kind of you know she's not sure about her own judgment she's letting Isabella or James or Mrs. Allen or whoever kind of guide her which I suppose is appropriate more or less in a 17 year old uh and it's nice and humble but here we start to see her think you know I don't like I don't like John Thorpe everybody keeps telling me he's a good guy but I don't think he's a good guy and and she's really you know willing to make those choices and think for herself and that's in the face of even people she respects, like Isabella and her brother, saying, oh, they're, he's a great guy. 
despite the fact that they say that, she still keeps her own opinion. And I love that. Uh, I really respect that out of her. So that was fun to see this time. Good for her. Yeah. So basically, yeah, what I, we said. We totally I agree. Say, I totally agree. <laughs> I really admire that she, because she's like, what, 15? 17. 17? Okay. Even at like an age like that where most, you know, she's her- been really sheltered. <laughs> yeah, really sheltered. And most heroines tend to be really naive and kind of like, you know, very easily will like kind of make excuses for these men yeah and they're super manipulatable yeah she's very like i don't like this guy yeah she has really good instincts and i really love that about her yeah i find a lot of her naivety to be very similar to emma woodhouse how she like understands society but also doesn't understand it but she knows like herself very well yeah yeah good good comparison all right so let's get into the deep dive yes So I did it on this week, John Thorpe, because Yuck. I wanted to get him out of the way because <laughs> he was such a big part of this section. But, yeah. you know, obviously I can't do too much on any of these characters in the beginning because... Um, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> so I um, just got some stuff from an article called, Oh, Damn It, D <laughs> slash It, <laughs> The Mayhem of John Thorpe and the Villain Template by Joanna L. Thaler. Thaler? T-H-A-L-E-R. Thaler. 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 And she just says that um, it's easy to dismiss John Thorpe as a precursor to Mr. William Collins. Like, he's like a early Collins type. Uh-huh. Um, but he also creates plenty of mayhem and just sows disorder and confusion, making him closer to like a Wickham prototype. Yeah. She was saying that his loud personality resembles John Willoughby as they both embrace impulsive action and that Austin uses the young fresh from Oxford Thorpe to show readers that even the most ridiculous person should not be underestimated in his ability to cause destruction, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, we haven't really gotten into his destructive capabilities yet, but we will. He just seems like, (laughs) like just like that kind of force. But so I actually did most of the deep dive on, horses because John uh-huh. Thorpe is going on about his horses the whole time so I just did a little about horses in Jane Austen's time and obviously um it was either horses or walking at the time right um they had been using sedan chairs for a while but cities were getting bigger so they were just impossible to to use in the city mm-hmm. um so but because a carriage wasn't really that practical for short trips um a lot of people would go by horseback which um, I think, yeah, Jane went by horseback in Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Because um, that was a shorter trip. So it was really common for gentlemen to do, but ladies, it was a lot um, harder and more dangerous for them. It took a lot more skill for them. Because <sighs> clothing. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll get to the ladies okay. in one second. But first I wanted to say that to own a horse, it was really expensive at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a horse itself could cost between 30 and 70 pounds, depending Whoa. on the quality of the horse. And then stabling and feeding it would cost around 30 pounds a year. Wow. So that was um, more. So the 30 pounds a year is more than a year's salary for a lower level household servant. Oh. Yeah. Um, then there was also the cost of the farrier, which um, he did like the shoes and the trimming of the hooves. Uh-huh. And that was around five pounds a year. 
And if you lived on an estate there, you also had the expenses of maintaining a private stables, which included salaries for grooms and stable boys. Um, saddles, blankets, bridles, whips, and spurs were all custom made. Wow. And finally, if you're a woman, um, you need specialized garments and accessories. Like if they had dresses that were like longer on one side or something. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Right, right. The guard sad saddle. Yeah. And all this would add up to an initial cost of around 175 pounds. Wow. And after that, it was between 75 and 100 pounds a year just to keep the horse. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so it was prohibitively expensive um, for oh, most yeah. people to keep a horse. I think John Thorpe inherited some sort of estate from his dead father. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Like. So, um, so women, yeah, they had a right side saddle. Unless you were queen, then you could get away with riding astride. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no one's going to question the queen. Yeah. But you had a right side saddle because you weren't allowed to open your legs that wide. <laughs> okay. So Snoozing right now. There were a lot of problems, though, with riding astride. Um, I mean, riding side saddle. First of all, it was impossible to mount unassisted. Yep. So you couldn't just get on. There's no way to steer with the legs. And you only had a decorative whip called a riding crop mm-hmm. <laughs> um it wasn't even possible for larger women because the balance was so delicate on the um on side the saddle and the actual technology of the side saddle wasn't very good at the time yikes your long skirts could spook or trip up a horse and at the time it was considered necessary to use an excessively tight saddle for riding side saddle which could injure the horse oh yeah so um Oh, Lord. There were no instances in her papers to indicate that she ever rode horses, but uh-huh. her family did keep ho- some horses, especially for her brothers. So it was definitely possible that she had. Right. Um, near the end of her life, she wrote to her niece and told her that she was planning on learning to ride the gentle family donkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there was one tragic story. Oh. Jane had a very close friend, almost like a mother figure to mother figure to her uh-huh. um, mrs ann lafroy i don't know if she had any relation to the other lafroy we were talking about at the beginning but oh, um yeah. she went to town with her servant on a horseback and on the way home her horse got spooked and bolted <gasps> the servant couldn't catch up so mrs lafroy jumped off the horse in fear oh my gosh and when she jumped she hit her head in the fall and died a few hours later oh my gosh and it happened on jane's birthday uh that's terrible. So four years later, she wrote this poem. Oh. The day commemorative of my birth, bestowing life and light and hope of, hope on me. Sorry. Bestowing life and light and hope on me brings back the hour which was thy last on earth. Oh, bitter pang of torturing memory. Oh. So sad. It is really Forever sad. after you're on your birthday, you're always thinking. Reminded of your bestie. Yeah. Okay. So John Thorpe sorting we've got Kristen's thoughts so what i thought we'd do is i'll say the astrology one i came up with and uh-huh. then we'll listen to Kristen's thoughts and probably just agree with her okay <laughs> so for um john thorpe i just looked up negative astrology sign characteristics <laughs> that's what i would have looked up and i found an article um well the article is called negative astrology sign characteristics by gene bacula on exploremore.com and i chose for him i didn't write down a whole bunch this time i just 
picked one, and it was Aries. <laughs> um, self-centered, poor planner, hot temper. Everything with them is me, me, me. You could be dying, and your Aries companion will still be going on and on. <laughs> <laughs> They're self-absorbed and don't really listen to what other, when other people are talking. They don't understand the concept of forethought, and so never plan ahead. And they say what's on their mind and blurt things out before thinking. They have bad temper tantrums, cannot understand what is wrong with you when you're upset with them, and they think they're right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely the negative side of Aries. Oh, yeah. Purpose. All right, so let's listen to what Kristen had to say about Harry Potter. So he's clearly not Ravenclaw, obviously. And he's not, I don't think he's Hufflepuff because he's not, you know, loyal and helpful. So that leaves Slytherin and Gryffindor. I'm going to say Slytherin because he's ambitious and he is not overly scrupulous about... Uh, his methods of attaining his ambitions, even at the expense of other people. And I would not say that bravery is a character trait that I recall seeing in him, especially, or at all. So I'm going to go with Slytherin. That's what I'm thinking. So I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Um, totally, 100% yep. agree. Slytherin <laughs> all the way. That's what I wrote down, Slytherin. <laughs> I was saying, just to be like opposite i was like is there any gryffindor characteristics and i was like no slytherin. <laughs> slytherin. aries slytherin all the negative traits on both i yes, don't know that fitting. he has any good traits we'll see if we find any as we go along all right all right so my favorite moment in this uh, few chapters was when they were talking about books and John Thorpe is like books are stupid I never want to read them um, <laughs> basically more so about I would say novels uh -huh. it seems to be his main issue which not surprising because mostly women authors <laughs> but um, she asked him if you if he's ever read Adolfo and he's like absolutely not um, although I do love Anne Radcliffe books <laughs> and she's like that is an Anne Radcliffe book. And he's like, oh, uh, well. Yeah, that is a great moment. I loved it. It made me laugh. I was like, this. I like how she has no qualms about just mentioning, like, that's actually a book by yeah. her. Like, she's not, like, trying to be meek or anything. Yeah, I she's not it. trying to be, like, super um, deferential to him or anything. No, she's like, I'm going to call your bullshit out. Yeah. I loved it. Um, I think my favorite is after the dance when she comes home and stuffs her face and yes. sleeps for nine hours yes. i love it there's so many good scenes so relatable love it all right and um oh yeah let's do recommendations yes i decided this week i would pick a book it's, this is a, a series of books, mm -hmm. but the first one is called The Air Affair, like spelled like Jane Eyre, like E-Y-R-E. Oh. Um, the series is called The Thursday Next Books uh -huh. because the main character's name is Thursday Next. <laughs> 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 They're by Jasper Fjord. Uh -huh. um, I think there's like a J in that or two Fs. There might be both a J and two Fs. I'm not sure. It's a tricky spelling, but it's, I think it's spelled pronounced fjord uh -huh. um they are the funniest little quirky books but they all kind of ex 
not all of them, but a lot of them explore like, um, you know, uh, classic literature uh-huh. a lot. But they're really wacky. I feel like if somebody was to write their own crazy version of a Jane Austen, David Lynch mashup, they might come up with something like these books <laughs> <laughs> with their own spin on it. Yeah. So I, I would definitely recommend those. Uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I'm going to recommend a music artist, but just like in general, the music artist. Uh-huh. I just recently got into a lot of her work. It's opera. It's Maria Callas. Oh. Um, and do you know Maria Callas? No. No? She's, um, I would say, I think they consider her one of the most like prolific opera f- performers in the wow. 20th century. She, they could, like, the description of her is that she changed opera performance forever. She was American born, but she's Greek. And I think they moved to Greece when she was like 12 or something. Uh-huh. Um, and so she trained with like a really famous opera singer and blew up really big. Uh, she would bring this, they call it like an actress intensity to it. Like, her performances are very like emotive and she would like, you know, move with her body a lot while oh. she was singing. And I first, the first song I got interested in listening to her was from Carmen. Oh, yeah? Um, and it's called, uh, oh, God, hold on. <laughs> it's a, I think it's French. I think it's basically translated to, like, tribute to Habanera or something. I cannot <laughs> remember how to, whatever. It's, like, one of her most famous, if not her most famous performance. But it is, like, the control of this woman's voice. Wow. Is insane. I can't wait to get this playlist going. <laughs> I would say, I, it's going to be insane, the uh, different things that we have on there. But <laughs> I, I have been listening to her, like, Essentials playlist, uh-huh. like, nonstop. Okay, cool. And that one's my favorite. And there's a song from uh, La Traviata and act one that is really like how high this woman went is insane nice um but i just i love her she was like just like the depiction of like 19s like 50s and 60s glamour like she was very glamorous very you know diva ish and it just made her so much more better i love her (laughs) you just made me think of someone that i should recommend on a later date so i'm putting them on the list (laughs) okay This is going to be my recommendation for this week because it's the only piece of pop culture I'm currently really into. Tomorrow, from when I record this, so that's Sunday, March 1st, is the last episode for the season of Doctor Who. And um, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. Not super long-term compared to some, but has by far been one of my favorite shows because it's, I don't know, it's always interesting and super clever and there's this there's this thing that I think sums it up really well which is a bit by Craig Ferguson when he used to have a talk show he did this little song and dance thing about Doctor Who basically what he was arguing in the song was that it the show champions the solving of problems and a a worldview that uh, favors what is it romance and hope over cynicism and despair. And I just really appreciate that consistently the show is funny, clever, so fun to watch, and also generally ends on a hopeful note. This season has been, for me, quite exciting, uh, a lot of fun to watch, and so I'm super excited about the ending tomorrow. 
Uh, so that's my recommendation. If you've never seen it, check it out. Yeah, is there something, some way to get into it? Eh, probably start with, oh, Blink is always a good one to start with, or The Eleventh Hour. Those are both good, but those are, it's a good show. Highly recommend. There should be more Whovians in the world. It'd be a better place. Uh, that's it. Bye. Yeah, so we are still working on the playlist. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, don't worry, it'll come out eventually. But it'll probably when, be out before this. When it does come out, I'm gonna um, share it on Twitter and like pin it, uh-huh. and then I'm gonna start a thread with all of our recommendations in it. So if you want to go back and look at anything we've recommended in the past, you can just go look at that, and you can find what we were talking about. Yes. Without having to, you know, go back and try to figure it out yourself. <laughs> Each episode. So hopefully that will work out. Um, there's no time limit it'll go up sometime but they'll yeah. all go up don't worry yeah I'll, I'll it'll definitely be before this one i <laughs> i'm working on a college paper that's due tomorrow <laughs> but as soon as that's done i will have tons of free time yes we're, we're not worried nobody's clamoring down the door <laughs> <laughs> i'm the only one who really wants to listen to this playlist okay. it'll be done but um yeah and if you would like to get in contact with us yes our gmail is mannersandmadness at gmail.com our uh, Instagram is Manners and Madness Pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter is Manners Madness. And our website is mannersandmadness.com. And you can leave a voice message if you'd like. Yes. And next week, we're going to be doing Twin Peaks episode three. Yes. And our next Northanger Abbey um, episode is going to cover chapters 10 through 12. 10 through 12. Yep. Awesome. So we hope you all will join us. All right. See you next time. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>